All right. Good morning. Could we all stand together in honor of God's word? If you have a Bible with you, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Otherwise, we're going to have the words up here as well. We're going to read verses 18 through 21. All right, here we go. But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what is on your heart today. Lord, you are the only true teacher. I offer you, Lord, my lips and my heart and my voice. Would you come? Would you hide me behind the cross? Would you speak to each one of us? Would you knit our hearts to your heart and to each other's hearts? Lord, you're doing something amazing in this day. We want to be part of it. Please help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we're doing, um, in January here, the four values of City Church. Uh, The first week was come as you are. Last week was connect with God, and today is connect with people. And I have only two points today. First, the first point is we need each other. Last week, I talked about Luke 15 and bringing joy to the Father. And that really the joy of Christianity is an overflow of his joy in us. There's, there's three stories in Luke 15, and the one is about the shepherd's joy in finding that lost sheep, and the second is about the woman that has found the lost coin, and she has a party, and she's filled with joy. And the third one is, it's not really about the prodigal's joy, it's about the father's joy. He is, runs, and he grabs the prodigal, and he kisses him, and he restores him fully, and, and calls for a party and kill the fattened calf and and it's hard for us to grab a hold of the emotions of heaven. God is filled with is there something going off somewhere? Oh, no problem, bro. There. It's it's all good. I I didn't know if I was the only one hearing it. I just wanted to check. Um, Our God, it says, in his presence is fullness of joy. He's filled with joy. But Luke 15 ends with the Father's joy not being able to be complete. And here's why. Even as he went out to the prodigal to greet him, he goes out to the older brother and says, I, I want you in. I want you. We got to rejoice. We got to, uh, your, your, your brothers come home. And, and, and Luke 15 ends 
And the older brother is not in the celebration yet. He hasn't reconciled yet. Now, every parent here knows that your joy can't be complete until you're it's not enough that one child is in and that one child is safe. It's not even enough that each child is reconciled to you. For your joy to be full, the, the kids have to love each other. They have to embrace each other. It breaks a parent's heart when two of their grown-up children are not talking to each other, or one can't come home for Christmas because they don't talk to this one, or they're mad at this one, and, and a, a parent's heart can never be filled with joy until there is this reconciliation. The prodigal comes home, and when the father goes out to the older brother... The brother says this, your son, your son has squandered the family wealth. Your son has done this. You know what the father says back to him? He says, your brother was lost and has now come home. He's not just my son. He's your brother. When he went away, I wasn't the only one that lost something. You lost something. And this restoration is not just him back to me. It's him back to you because he is your brother. See, Christianity doesn't work with just you and God. In America, we are convinced this is about our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Sorry. Here's what, here's what God says. This is Matthew 5, 23 and 24. If you come to worship me, you are coming to bring your gift to me, to lay your life out to me. And while you are, are presenting that, you remember if somebody's got something against you, leave the gift at the altar, go make it right, then come back and present the gift. Here's what he says. When you stand praying, forgive everybody that's hurt you. Not if they're sorry, not if they're sorry enough. When you stand praying, forgive. See, this isn't, this isn't just about you and God. This is about you and your brothers and your sisters. We need each other. So I had the joy over Christmas break to go down to the One Thing Conference down in, down in Kansas City and uh, with 11 young people. And one of, the, one of the speakers there is a guy named Francis Chan, an uh, amazing author, amazing speaker, but in a very, very different line of Christianity than charismatic Christianity and the whole Kansas City movement. But Mike Bickle, uh, who leads the, the, the ministry down there in Kansas City, had invited him to come two years earlier and he had come and he had spoken and he invited him back this year and so Francis Chan gets up there and, and he starts the, the meeting by, by reading this scripture about the I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. 
And he said, I'm, he said, I'm kind of from an exclusive group. He said, and many of you know what, what I'm talking about, that because maybe you're from a group like this where, where you are, you're in this group that is almost defined by your suspicions towards everybody else in the body of Christ, that we're right and the way we see it is right and everybody else is a little suspect, so you really need to be part of our... He said, I'm part of one of those types of groups. And so uh, two years ago when Mike uh, invited me to come speak, I was warned to not go by, by many of the leaders in, in my group. And uh, he said, I, I, I came anyway. And they had finally gotten over that, and now Mike asked me to come again, and, and they, they gathered with me and said, and they said, listen, if you have to go, go, but could you please define how we are different than they are doctrinally? And so Francis Chan comes, and he says, uh, He says, I, I, he says, I just, I just want to say this up front. Here's what I want to say. He said, I, I love Mike Bickle. And I don't want to be here able to worship together and tolerate you with all of your differences. He said, I need you. I need you. You love Jesus. You're willing to suffer for Jesus. You're willing to go all in for Jesus. I need you. And the place erupted in joy. Everybody stood to their feet and gave him a standing ovation. It was the Father's joy. When we stop living attacking each other and we look each other in the eye, even with our differences and say, I need you. You are part of me. You are my brother. You are my sister. If we're going to bring the father joy, we need to bring the races together, the sexes together, the denominations together, the generations together. There is a tremendous joy in the Father's heart when we love each other and when we reconcile with each other when there has been something broken. We need each other to bring joy to our Father and secondly, to keep burning in the Johannesburg airport in South Africa, I am told by one of my pastor friends, there's a, there's a huge sign, and it says this. If you want to go fast, go alone. Has anybody found that to be true? <laughs> it's so much easier if you really need to get somebody to not take anybody with you and not ask anybody's opinion. Just go. If you want to go fast, go alone. Then it says this, but if you want to go far, go together. I have been meditating the beginning of this year on Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. And here's what has struck me 
We always say that Moses turned aside because of the burning bush. The burning bush got his attention and it was like a sign. And so he turned aside because of the burning bush. But you want to know something? That's not what the scripture says. In fact, it's not a sign. In, in that area for a bush to all of a sudden catch fire. That's not the sign. The reason why he turned aside is because it set fire, but it wasn't consumed. It started on fire, normal, but this was very weird because the fire did not go out. The bush burned, but it didn't burn out. So here's, here's the truth. In 21st century America, it is not a sign to your family or to your work associates or to anybody that knows you that you get excited about Jesus. It's not a sign to them that you get excited. It's not excited uh, when you, you come back and you're all emotional and, you're, and I had this encounter and I had this experience and that is not, that's just not a sign. We're a very cynical generation. When I first got saved, I had a little fire burning and I was just so excited about Jesus and I couldn't talk enough about him and my sister Sheila wrote me a 10-page letter of why she would never be what I was and, and uh, it was all very analytical. This is, this is all my reasons. And, 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 and so we got together to talk about her letter and, and she, said, she said, Tommy, to be honest, I am not really even worried about you. He, she said, I've had friends that have gone up and been born again and it lasted a couple weeks. I'm not worried about you. We, this is our, we understand up and down and up and down and in and out. It didn't become a sign to her until the fire didn't go out. It just burned brighter and brighter and longer and longer. And it wasn't a passing fad. I had the privilege before my sister died in the year 2000 to lead her to Christ. So it might seem unfair. You're excited about Jesus. Why isn't this a sign? Because they're waiting to see. Is this real? Are you actually going to stop doing the evil things that you used to do? Are you going to, are you going to ask forgiveness? Are you going to make things right? Are you going to do the hard things? It's amazing how non-Christians know what Christians should be doing. <laughs> it's like they're experts on the subject. I thought you were a Christian. How do you know what a Christian is? Well, they know. They may not be it themselves, but they know what Christians should be doing. And it becomes a sign when we burn and we don't burn out. God has so arranged it that we need each other to keep burning. God alone starts the fire, but he has designed it 
that if we're going to keep burning, we need each other. Sam Duran preached here the last Sunday in December, and he gave what I believe was a prophetic word for this church for 2016. He said, God is, he wants to take a mentality of bonfire and he wants to transport it to a mentality of grass fire. And here's, here's what he said. God has started a fire here in city church and, 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 and people come, they, they, fires give light and they give warmth and they're, they're, there's a drawing and it's, the drawing is not a man or a program or a building, it's, it's, it's the fire of God, it's God's presence here. But that mentality of all I need to do is get friends to the bonfire and, and the bonfire is what we celebrate, that's going to be very limited in its effect. And that God's heart actually is grass fire. Where we come and our hearts get ignited and we are carriers of the fire. And we've got these 53 connect groups, different ways to connect with the church, every different way you can think of. There's geographical groups, there's, there's uh, young people, there's a 19 to 29 group, there's thematic groups, there's one on the Father's heart and, and getting free from the orphan spirit. There's groups of every kind, every type, every one of them is, we're calling them all connect groups. Because it really doesn't matter which group you're in, well, here's what matters, that you're in a group. You can't keep the fire going just coming to the bonfire once a week. This thing has to be real. It has to be you. It has to not just be you listening, but you talking, you sharing, you getting into other people's lives because God wants to not just set a fire in us. He wants us to not burn out. Now, I totally, totally get that it's hard. There's a reason why people prefer to go alone rather than go together. Whenever you include one other person, it gets messy. It turns out that other person has their own opinions. It turns out they've got their own weaknesses, their own sins, their own, and, and everything becomes complicated and then you try to do things together and there's this rubbing and there's this, and it, it's, it's hard. And the Lord says, listen, the secret to you being a sign and a wonder, to being a burning, shining light in this world, the secret is not just your relationship with me. I've created you to be connected. You cannot say to your brothers and sisters, I don't need you. It's just me and Jesus. You can't say that. You are part of a body. Your life doesn't even make sense apart from the body. You, you, you need to be together. You were created. You were designed this way. And together, we will not just burn, but keep burning. Praise God. Okay, that's point one. We're on to point two, and this is our last point. There are four subpoints in point two. I want to tell you, this is uh, why we need each other, and it's really why we need each other to keep burning. I want to tell you this morning about something that happened in 2005. 
I was in a church in Minnesota, Montevideo, Minnesota, small town, Minnesota, and we had become, become close as pastors. We prayed together every week, pastors in the city, all different groups, and um, one of the guys, uh, a Baptist guy, Calvary Baptist Church, right down the road from our church, his name is Paul, um, has this cabin near La Crosse, um, and it is the middle of winter, and he says, uh, he, he, he asks me if I want to go with him on a prayer retreat. And there's another guy who lives in the next town over in Prinsburg named uh, Steve Zwart, and he's from a Reformed church. And we had, we had been enjoying fellowship. We, these guys both love the Holy Spirit, love the Word of God. We've been getting together weekly, and he asked Steve too. And so Steve and I were like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go do it. And, and so somewhere along the line, we find out there is one problem. It's the middle of winter. There's no heat in this cabin. And so the whole thing runs on this one wood stove in the middle. And, uh, and so you, you really, you spend a lot of the week keeping that fire going. And so ever since then, 2005, now it's 2016, and uh, tomorrow morning I leave for our prayer retreat. Every single year we have done it. And random people come along, random pastors, always pastors, come along and um, it is just a, it's a week I look forward to every single year because there's nothing like pastors with each other from different groups, different denominations where you don't see each other ever during the year that you just can tell all. You just tell all, get it all out there. Every wicked thing, thought, just everything going on with the kids, everything going on with the church, every frustration, it's, it's all fair game. And, and so we, we get together, we study separately during the day, and then we all know that each one of us is going to have our time in the prayer chair where we tell all and the other guys get around and prophesy and pray and give scripture. And it, it, it's just an amazing time. I don't want to make it sound like it's all spiritual. We play cards at night too. <laughs> we make steaks and we eat great and then we play cards. It's just a great, it's just a great time. I look forward to it every single year. So this afternoon, Paul, who owns the cabin, leaves from Grand Rapids, Minnesota, which is like, I don't know, eight hours from the cabin. He comes in um, tonight and he gets the fire started. That cabin's cold right now, folks. I mean, the wood is cold. The whole thing is cold. And so he'll, he'll get there first. He gets this fire started and gets it going. And by the time the rest of us arrive tomorrow, it will have warmed up. And it's amazing. The wood actually holds the heat. And it, it's, it's just an amazing week. <coughs> Five years ago, Paul's brother-in-law brother-in-law? I, I don't know how it works. Maybe not brother-in-law. His, his daughter married this pastor's son, in-law. Let's just say in-law. Uh, 
And he's from Spring Green, Wisconsin. So he started coming about five years ago after the wedding. And so it's been the four of us. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all gathered in one place. And there came the sound of a mighty rushing wind. The Bible says that the tongues of fire came and rested upon each one of them. There's 120 gathered, and a, a tongue of fire rests on each one of them, and they began speaking in other tongues. This is, this is the beginning of God's plan for the church. He had said, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to, there's power that's coming. Dunamis is coming, and you're going to be my witnesses. How many know that it's easier to keep a fire going than it is to start a fire? Did anybody, uh, I don't know if, if Survivor still exists, but I remember the early years we watched Survivor and the big thing was always, can we get fire going? We cannot last out here long if we can't get a fire going. It's really difficult to start a fire. But once that fire is going, you just have to tend it. Isn't that right? Here's the amazing thing about Christianity. You don't have to produce your own fire. Many times religion produces its own zeal, human zeal, human effort, human willpower. That's not, it, that has nothing to do with Christianity. Christianity starts not with us doing something, but God doing something for us. And the Holy Spirit came and started a fire. Kind of like my friend Paul. When we get there, we don't, we don't have to keep, we, we just keep the fire going. Steve, Steve's got a guy in his church that gives him wood. He comes with a minivan filled with wood. When Steve arrives, we all go out and load after load after load of wood comes in. But none of us ha had to start the fire. Paul starts the fire. He gets it started. How he does it, we don't know. We don't need to know. But we're all responsible to keep it going. Because everything happens around that fire. We pray around that fire. We worship around that fire. We eat around that fire. We play games around that fire. That fire is essential. Next Sunday night from 6.30 to 8, I'm doing a, a special meeting called Let's Talk About the Baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, that night, it, you're, all, you're all invited um, I share my testimony about a second experience with the Holy Spirit and about, about how to experience more of the Holy Spirit, about a prayer language called speaking in other tongues that is available to believers. And I will talk and then we'll have a question and answer time about it. And then those that feel comfortable, feel prepared, uh, are, we're, we're going to pray for people for uh, encounters with the Holy Spirit because this is very, very central to what God is about. It's not about human fire. It's about his fire. So he starts the fire. And our part, and I think we've made Christianity too hard. 
You don't have to get a fire started every day. There's already a fire going. You just need to tend it. You need to watch over it. You need to keep influences that will put the fire out away. And so these are my, my four things, and then we'll be done. First thing that puts the fire out, and the first time we need one another is when we have sinned. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, this one is not talking about physical healing. I'm, I'm convinced. Here's why. The two verses before it are talking about physical healing, and it's a different solution. If you're sick, you call the elders of the church, they'll anoint you with oil, and there will be healed. They will pray for you in faith, and they will release physical healing. And if you've committed any sins, just that whole idea that I'm sick because I've sinned, God wants that off the table, um, they will be forgiven. But then he says, confess your sins to one another, not to the elders, but to one another, and pray for one another, and you will be healed. I don't think that's about physical healing. I think it's about the, what is it in our soul that has caused us to sin. Jesus said, sin, he compared sin, sinners to people that are sick, that the gospel is for the sick. It's not for the righteous, it's for the sick. God is calling sinners to repent and to become healed. And there's something that happens in these small groups where you actually know one another good enough to say how you sinned, to say how you're blowing it, to say what your weaknesses are, to be vulnerable with one another, to allow somebody else to pray into your life. And then something is released in the grace of God in our souls. He binds up that which is broken inside of us with the Holy Spirit. And we find that that area we were continually sinning in and falling in becomes healed. And we're not, we're, it's, it's not even a problem anymore. Amazing. <coughs> so last year, and I don't think he would mind me sharing this because he's from a different fellowship, different state, but we had this guy come named Don. And uh, Paul's friend from somewhere and Don came and, and he, he was ready to tell his story, man. He, he, had, he had been in missions in South Africa for many, many years and it ended with this horrible, horrible betrayal from one of the, one of the partners and it was just so bad. And then they, he came back and pastored a church in the States and, and uh, that had been going good for a while. And then once again, horrible betrayal. Now he was living with his, him and his wife were living with one of their kids and he came to this thing just filled with anger and cynicism and and difficulty, and Paul, Paul had explained to him, just so you know, because he, he's part of a fellowship that doesn't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, doesn't believe God speaks today, only in the Word of God, doesn't do anything supernatural today, and so Paul had warned him, this is what this group is like, and he says, well, just because my denomination believes it, I'm, I'm very open, I'm, I'm open, whatever, 
we'll, we'll just see. We'll wait and see. So he came and, and he shared all of his stuff so vulnerably and just, just got it all out. It, just, it was really beautiful to see him be able to unload all the poison that was trying to corrupt him. And so we prayed for him and we loved on him and we played games. And one morning we are at breakfast <laughs> and I, I was overcome. I said, Dad, I said, I don't really know how to say this because I know what your theology is, but I have a prophetic word for you right now. And he's like, bring it. And I gave him what I believed at the time was the word of the Lord that God was going to bring him to a place of forgiveness and healing and raise him up to go out to other missionaries that have been isolated like he was and bring the healing of God through him that only somebody that had been through it had been. And I, whatever, whatever it was, it went on. I, honestly, I hadn't thought about it. I hadn't thought about that word for 10 months. And in December, I get an email from Don. And he, he couldn't come to the retreat this year but he said, I, I, need to, I need to see you. I need to tell you what happened with the prophecy. And that was the, and I'm like, prophecy, prophecy, pro oh yeah, that's right. We had that little encounter thing. <laughs> and so he, he drove here. He drove here in, in December and we met in my office. I am like, what on earth happened to you? Because he's just glowing. He's just filled with joy. And he tells me the most astonishing story of what had happened to him in this last year. And that God raised him up through this denomination to be a missionary to missionaries. And he had stories. Him and his wife had already gone into the field and seen powerful healings of people's souls as they had just ministered from their vulnerability and their story. He said, do you remember? Do you remember the prophecy? I'm like, yeah. He said, it's happened. It's happened this year. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. There's nothing God can't heal. Amen. There's no poison inside of you that he can't draw out by his grace. God is excited about you. And everything the devil's tried to do to you, to destroy you, to kill you, the wisdom of God is this. He can take those very things and use them and raise up ministry to others because those who have been wounded have the authority to heal others that have been wounded in the same way. God is amazing. We need one another when we've sinned. Secondly, we need one another when we are afraid. There's a tremendous story in the Bible in the book of Esther. A guy named Haman has just got this demonic plot. It's really birthed of hell to kill all of the Jews. Um, the, the, the king offers that he could just kill Mordecai, who is the Jew that he's so angry at, but he says, it's not enough to kill Mordecai. I want to kill all of his people. 
And so he makes this decree in the king's name with the king's authority that on a certain day, all of the Jews are going to be killed. Everybody can attack Jews and kill them on that day. And so word of this decree um, comes to Mordecai and he sends a letter to Esther who, interestingly enough, is a Jew and she has been made queen, but nobody knows she's Jewish. And he says to her, this is the decree that is against your people. Do something. And she sends this message back to him, which is just like the message you and I would send. And here's the, here's the message. <laughs> this is tragic. This decree is absolutely tragic. And I wish I could do something. I would love to do something but I can't. And here's why. You don't approach the king. If you approach the king without him asking for you to come, uh, he kill you. The, the, the penalty is death. You don't decide, huh, I think I'll go talk to the king today. That could kill you. I would love to do something, but I can't. King hasn't called for me in 30 days. Mordecai writes this back. He says, listen, Miss Esther, if you choose to do nothing, know this, you and your family will perish. But God will raise up deliverance from somewhere else. God's plan is not contingent on you. It's all resting on you. And if you don't do your part, then the kingdom is going to fall apart. No, it's, it's, not, it's bigger than that, folks. It's bigger than us. Praise God. Jesus is building his church. He'd like to use you. If, he do, if you don't want to be used, that's fine. He will build his church. Jesus will have his church. And then he says this to Esther. Esther, have you ever thought that maybe the reason why you've come to royalty, the reason why you won the beauty contest, the reason why you are where you are was for such a time as this? What if this is God's plan? What if you are God's chosen instrument? What if you're not just randomly enjoying your life, but you have been positioned by Almighty God to work where you're working and that you've come to royalty, you've been given favor for such a time as this so that you would save many people? What if, what if that's true, Esther? And she writes back, here's what she says. If you will gather people and you guys will pray and fast for me for three days, I'll pray and fast myself too. I will, I will go to the king. And if I perish, I perish. We call the book Esther. We could easily call that book Mordecai. Because if Mordecai doesn't encourage her, doesn't come and strengthen her in her fears, doesn't come and come alongside her and say, I'll pray and fast for you and, and, and warn her, this is your hour, this is your time. If she doesn't have that encouragement, it never happens. She ends up doing nothing. She'd like to do something, but she can't. Guys, we need each other. We need each other. Every one of us is an Esther. 
For such a time as this, you have been given favor. You are not just a human being. You are a favored son, a favored daughter. We are betrothed to the God of of the universe who rose from the dead on our behalf. We have been given favor. We have been given favor. Come with confidence now before a throne of grace. It is not a throne of judgment. He extends the scepter of favor to Esther. And he's extended that favor to every single one of us. It is a throne not of judgment and death. We don't have to fear coming before a holy God because Jesus is our high priest. He is our sacrifice. He has died for us. He has shed his blood for us so that we could come near God with confidence in our time of need and find mercy and help. That's Hebrews 4, 16. <clears throat> these, these two guys, Paul and Steve, they knew about City Church long before anybody in Madison even heard the words. They knew my struggle. They knew the prophetic word that I felt like I had received. They knew my fears. They knew, uh, why not? I didn't have to impress them or try to be anything to them. I'm just like, this is what God might have said. I don't know if it's pride or if I'm deceived or if it's, if it's two churches actually coming together spiritually. And, and for years, they, they prayed into it. They came alongside. They spoke into it. And there's something about that fire that causes us to rise up and want to be the best us. There's something about that fire that makes us want to say this. Hey, if I die, I die. But I'm not sitting on the couch. I'm going out fighting. I'm going out believing God. I've got one chance at this thing. I'm going to live courageously and not just do the smallest little comfortable thing that I can do. And this is what all of us are called to do. So we're all called to be Esther that needs a Mordecai. We all need Mordecai's. And we're all called to be Mordecai to the Esthers around us. Everybody around you is an Esther. Everybody around you has been born for such a time as this by God, for the purpose of coming to Christ, for the purpose of fulfilling a destiny in God. And we're the ones that when they can't see it, when they're just giving into fear, giving into condemnation, giving into uh, apathy, we're the ones that bring the warning, that bring the prophecy, that bring the encouragement. Come on! You can do this thing. And you're not going to be doing it alone because we're going to pray for you. And we're going to fast for you. And we're each other's cheerleaders. Praise God. When we sin, we need each other. When we're afraid, we need each other. When we fall asleep, we need each other. You know, the most dangerous time for the fire at the cabin is at night. We load it up right before we go to bed. And then we, we, we all sleep upstairs. Paul's got his own room downstairs, and we all go to sleep. But it's always worrisome about how long we're going to sleep and what's going to happen to that fire. So what happens is, I'm just going to confess this since you're family. 
I always have to get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Okay, so that's out there. We're all, we're all, we're all aware of that. Praise God. We got somebody down here that has the same problem. Okay. Um, so it's my job in the middle of the night when I get up to go to the bathroom, get another log on there. And then in the morning, it's funny in the morning because it, it looks like the fire's out. But we've been around this thing enough, we know it's not out. There's just smoke right now. There's no flame at all. But we know it's actually burning underneath. And you just get down, you get down on your knees, you gotta open the little door, get down on your knees, get, a, get another log on there, and you just start breathing. And it's amazing how quickly that thing comes back to flame. Sleep will kill you. Spiritual sleep will kill you. Do you know that the Philistines had no power over um, Samson? Everything they tried, there was no way to get him because whenever they tried to get him, however they tried to do it, the spirit of the Lord would come on him. Do you know that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world? Us filled with the Holy Spirit, nothing can stop it. So they have to make a, a different plan. They can't go direct anymore. And the plan is this, Delilah is going to put him to sleep. And once he's asleep, she can cut his hair. His hair represents his consecration to God. Doesn't go immediately for the consecration. Puts him to sleep first. And once we're asleep, horrible things can start happening. Dangerous things can start happening. And so we need to keep each other awake. God has arranged just us being together, just being here today. You're awake. Something's waking you up. Encourage one another. Hebrews 3.13. Encourage one another, lest any of you become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Just being here today, things are melting again, and you're seeing clearly, and light comes on, and, and, and it just, oh, wake, wakes you up again. When we were on our way down to... Uh, Kansas City, we, we were planning on leaving Monday morning because the thing starts uh, Monday, Monday afternoon. We weren't going to get there for the first session. And uh, I'm watching the football game Sunday afternoon, and Christina, who's in charge of the whole trip, comes to me and says, Dad, there is a massive snowstorm coming on Monday. We, we're, we got 12 people in our group. I say, honey, right after the game, Every man knows you watch the game first. That's, there's nothing so urgent that you stop watching the Packers. After the game, I'm going to take a nap. And we're leaving tonight at midnight. I want you to tell everybody, we're going to leave, we're going to leave at midnight. We're going to, we're going to beat the, the storm. Because the, the storm was coming right when we were going to. So we leave at midnight that night. We're, we're all gathered in the parking lot. The storm is coming. And... Uh, we're going to be driving six hours before we hit the storm, and then it'll only be a few more hours to Kansas City. And you know, there's something, when the storm is there, there's really not a, a fear that the driver's going to fall asleep. You're wide awake. You're, you're at risk. It's dangerous. The dangerous time was when it wasn't stormy. We're driving six hours 
So we got Ben next to me. He's in, and his responsibility is to keep me awake. And, and if it was silent for a long time, Michelle, who was sitting in the way back, would say, Tom? I'm like, yes, Michelle, are you doing okay? Are you doing okay? Because how many know that it's very dangerous to fall asleep while driving? <laughs> very dangerous. Guys, it is very dangerous to fall asleep spiritually. And everything in this world is designed to put you asleep. <laughs> well, oftentimes, the easiest way to fall asleep is by being too busy. And the enemy's got you going here, 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 here. And to everybody else, it looks like you're wide awake and you're the most busy, active person. But spiritually, you're getting lulled asleep. So God's, he wants us to recognize this about ourselves. And then he wants us to make time to be together so that regularly we have wake-up times. Wake-up times. And some of those times are often times where you wake other people up. And every year that retreat has just woken us up afresh to Jesus, to his great love, to our own Christianity. How many know the pastors can fall asleep very easily? Because it's our job to talk about God. And you got to do it whether you're in the mood or not, and you can be asleep and still talk about God. All right, and then finally, when we sin, we need each other. When we're afraid, we need each other. When, we're, when we fall asleep, we need each other. And I, I want to say this last thing about the sleep thing. It may seem like you are just smoke right now, but Jesus knows better. The Bible says he will not put out a smoking wick. He will bring it back to fire. Matthew 12, 20. We all knew all you need to do is breathe on it a little. It will burn again. You may, you may feel like the fire's out. Uh, don't believe it. Just let Jesus breathe on you a little. You come back. You were meant to live in the fire. Finally, when we're overwhelmed. <coughs> in Nehemiah, they, the city was destroyed. It was a massive project, and the king had sent Nehemiah to rebuild the city. And, and so Nehemiah got, uh, got all the leaders together and said, uh, I can't rebuild the city, but we can rebuild the city. And they gave assignments, and everybody had a gate that they were building. There was all, every family had a part of the wall, and everybody was building together, and they were completely dependent, not just on God for protection, but on each other, because every part of the wall has to be built. And so I not only do I need to work on my part, but I need you to be working on your part. I need, everybody needs to be working. And the way they set it up, because they were under attack the whole time, was that the enemy strategy was not to attack the whole city at once. They would take the weakest place and they would all go into that weakest place. And so Nehemiah had set up a plan. If you were the place that the enemy was attacking, you had this trumpet you blew and everybody would rally around you. You're working, 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 but you're not just working. You're listening for that trumpet because once that trumpet goes, you rally around. And in all the years we have been at that cabin, every single year one of us is blowing the trumpet. 
one of us is, is, is abs- thanks bro. One, one, one of us is saying, I need everybody to rally around me right now. Everybody shares the story, everybody gets help, but there's always somebody that had to be there that year because they were under severe attack. Sometimes it's spiritual, sometimes it's your family, sometimes it's your money, sometimes it's your church, all kinds of attacks. And God made it so that we rally around one another. So here's the reality. God wants to do something great at this church. I believe God has already started something great at this church. But for the fire, the center of it has to be fire. And the way that we can do this so that everybody keeps the fire burning is for all of us to do our part. We're confident that others are doing their part and everybody's part isn't that big. And so what we did today, not only do we have all these groups up here, but out in the foyer, we've got serving opportunities to help with coffee, to help usher, to help uh, with children, to help different areas. And sometimes it's amazing, the closest friendships come as you are serving together. Jesus sent them out in twos. He sent them out in mission, but can you imagine the friendships that developed as they went out together doing God's work? And so... Only God can knit us together. The way this finger finds out its place is not from these other three, you know, consulting them. Uh, this thing, this little guy here, doesn't look like it, but he gets all of his instructions through nerves from up here. Jesus is the head. Jesus is the one that shows us our spot. Jesus is the one that knits us into the body. The Bible says that God has set each one in the body just as he pleased. Sorry, you don't get to choose what part you are. God's already decided. God's already set it. The most you and I can do is not kick against the goads, find out who we are and serve in that way. Be part of the body. Function because we need you to be functioning. Otherwise, it's called, what is it called? Paralysis. You can still do stuff, but when you're paralyzed in part of your body, it's harder and you can't do as much. And so God's activating us. It's part of the fire. It's part of keeping the fire going. At four o'clock today, we're having a third service uh, down in the fellowship, a third service planning meeting. We got like 60 people signed up to help because we're starting a third service in uh, uh, February 19th. And so if you didn't sign up and you want to be part of that, come at four o'clock today. But I'm encouraging you to get in the fire and to keep the fire going by connecting with people. If you've got to forgive somebody, forgive them. If you've got to forgive me, please forgive me. I am so sorry that I did whatever I did. Forgive me. Forgive leaders. Forgive messy people please. It's time for such an hour as this. You are alive. God has great plans for you. All right, can we have every head bowed and every eye closed? Maybe you are here today 
and you don't really know what the first step would be. Well, the first step is just acknowledging that we're sinners, acknowledging that our hearts are cold and guilty and dead apart from a savior. It's funny, Christianity doesn't start with us doing anything for God. It starts with God doing something for us. The Bible says Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he will come in. Jesus loves you. Jesus died on a cross for you. Jesus wants to forgive us of our sins. He wants to be the fire in our hearts. But he only knocks until we open the door and say, I, I need you. So if that is you today, you know Jesus is knocking today. And you want to open the door with every head bowed and every eye closed. This is between you and God. But I do like to help people because somebody helped me to pray, to open that door. So if that is you, would you just raise your hand real high right now? I see that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand in the back. God bless you. In the way back of the balcony, I see two hands up there. God bless you guys. You can put those down. Is there anybody else by upraised hand? You need to open the door today and say, Jesus, come and save me. Save me and wash me. Anybody else? All right. Could we just... uh, If you raised your hand, just put a hand over your heart right now and pray something like this. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for knocking on my life and my door and not letting me just go my own way. Now, Lord, today I open the door. I ask you to come in and save me. Forgive me. Wash me. I ask you to be the fire in my heart. I ask you to be the center of my heart. Life, Forgive me for going my own way. Help me now to go yours in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Could we stand together? I'm going to say to each that raised their hand, um, if you have not been water baptized as a believer... This is the first step to go public, to say publicly, I belong to Jesus. I'm I'm just really encouraging you, either at the Info Center, we're doing a baptism on February 14th, sign up to be baptized, or on on the communication card, just fill that out. All right. Here is the call for the rest of us. We have got... 53 groups up here. We've got these little guys. They kind of describe what the groups are and, and what, where they are and what age group. There's a little description on each one of these. Out in the foyer is the serving opportunities. Maybe you've been Esther. Maybe you've been, I'd like to do something. Yep, the world does need help. I'd like to do something, but Whatever. We've got a thousand reasons. I'm going to encourage you to step out of the comfort zone and see if God might lead you to one of these groups. To just say to God, I'm willing to be knit, not just to your heart, but to the hearts of other people. God, show me where I might fit in. And so that's the, that's the altar time today is finding out where you might fit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these wonderful people. 
family, brothers and sisters. But Lord, the enemy is very good at isolating us and just getting us in our own little dark, cold, independent world. Lord, would you call us out? Would you knit us together? Just like you knit Jonathan and David together and they, they found this tremendous support. Would you knit hearts together in this congregation? Lead us, I pray, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, you're welcome to come down and check out the groups. Have a great day.